Let's join together in the call to worship. The advent of Christ brings the love of God's presence into our midst. We sing praises to God for the salvation Christ brings to us. Because of Christ, the weak are strengthened, the fearful are encouraged, and the unrighteous are redeemed. invite to come up now and to light the candle for the fourth Sunday in the season of Advent. Last Sunday we lit the candle of joy, 
Before that, we lit the candles of hope and peace as we remember that Christ will come again to fulfill all of God's promises and bring us everlasting peace and joy. The fourth candle of Advent is the candle of love. God's love is a perfect love. It holds nothing back. God in love gives us everything we need to live a life of hope and peace. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus shows us God's perfect love. We light the candle of love to remind us that Jesus brings us God's love and shows us how to love others. Love is like a light shining in a dark place. As we look at this candle, we celebrate the love we find in Jesus Christ. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you during this season of Advent, which is a time for preparation. So we have come here to prepare our hearts to be able to celebrate your birth in us at Christmas. So now in a time of silence, we lift before you all the thoughts and concerns of our hearts. Amen. Let's join together in the prayer of preparation and confession. God of promise, we so often place our trust in the things we can see, touch, and easily believe. But you do not ask us to believe what is true. Forgive us, Holy One, when we doubt the ways you work. Forgive us when we find it hard to believe in an ancient story how you were born as one of us. Help us to look in faith and set aside our doubts that you, your Son, set us all free. This we pray in the name of Jesus, who is called Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. have a loving and a merciful God, and whenever we confess our sins, he is quick to forgive. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand and greet those that are around us. Well, good morning, everybody. Here in the sanctuary in our church here today on this fourth Sunday of Advent, I can say it, you know, with fourth Sunday of Advent, Merry Christmas too, as well. Let me be among the 10 millionth person to wish you that already this year. Um, also, those of you watching online, you're, we're so glad that you're able to join us here for our service of worship. If you'll take a moment, those of you sitting in the center of the aisle here, to take out the pew pad 
and to take a pen or a pencil and write down your name and any contact information you would like to leave with us and then pass it down the aisle so others can do the same. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us today. We're so glad that God has called you to be here today in this season, this day, this precious moment. Uh, there are a number of things to call your attention to in the bulletin that are, the main ones are on the colored page here, the colored sheet in the bulletin. Come and see what God is doing here. Well, as you may have noticed, uh, Christmas is this week. And so it's on the 24th, I believe. Is that right, Steve? This year again? Um, We have services at 5 and 9 and 11 p.m. The 5 o'clock service is uh, just a festive, wonderful time that's appropriate for children and adults of all ages. And then the 9 o'clock and 11 also are appropriate for anybody to come to worship you can come twice if you want. And that is, those are two candlelight services. So there will be a portion of the service where we hear the sermon and sing together, uh, illuminated only by candles. So come and join us on Christmas Eve and uh, see what God is doing here in our midst, in this place, and through us as a people. The alternative gift market is also going on today. There are still catalogs available. You can purchase a gift that keeps on giving. It's going to take place. There's just one table this week over in the um, Barton Room, which is right next to the sanctuary. There are people there to take your last-minute Christmas orders from the Alternative Gift Market catalog. It's a way to give a gift to somebody in need, to support a charitable organization locally or globally, and then to honor a friend or a colleague or a loved one by giving them a card saying you've given this gift that keeps on giving in their name. So please take advantage of that. The pledge campaign is still ongoing. Thank you to all of you who have participated already in our stewardship drive this year. Uh, Those who haven't yet, there are pledge cards in the pews and around various places, and you can pledge online and join us as we support God's mission and ministry here. There's an announcement here about ushers, and then the Christmas pageant, which was last week at this time, and then the Christmas concert, which was the previous week, those are online as well. You can watch them and listen to them by going to our website, and the information is here. I do want to take a moment, though, as well, to thank the members of the Altar Guild and those who have decorated our sanctuary. Once again, they have done an amazing job, and so they deserve some appreciation from the rest of us. Let's give them a hand. I'd ask them all to stand, but they're the shy, retiring type. So, but give them thanks if you know an Altar Guild member. Let's bow together in prayer. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that in this Advent season that we may see Jesus as the man, the human being, the image of who you would have us be. May we use this time to measure our lives against the full stature of our Lord. We also pray that we may have the vision to see deeper until we discover the Christ, the man who was more than a man, who walked our roads where daily others walked and yet so few understood. So few saw who he really was. And we confess that we have the same trouble seeing who he really is and what he really means for our lives. So give us the vision in these days that we might see your son given for us and in seeing follow. 
and in following come closer to you. We pray now for others in special needs, for those who live in fear. Let us pray that they will be granted the knowledge that when we fear, we bear the burdens of a score of ills that never come to pass, and that God supports us with his strength against those ills that beset us. We pray for those who are tempted to give up hope, remembering that even when we pray with tears and sobs, it is the spirit that bears witness with our spirit and that we are your children. And if we are your children, then we have a great inheritance waiting for us. We pray for those who have failed in something that they may be defended against the error of thinking that they are failures. May they see that when we fall, we may get up again stronger, wiser, more understanding of others than we were before. We pray for those who seem confused or bent on ruining their lives, that they will find a better way and know a richer life. And finally, we pray for those in hospitals who are afflicted with pain, who know their lives are in danger. Grant them the will to live and the patience to be healed. For all others who are in need, we lift up our prayers. We ask that you would bring us in this season the joy of Christmas, that Christ might be born in our hearts. For we pray all of these things in the name of our Lord who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Thank you, Tina and Dan and Steve, and a special thanks to Johannes Brahms. Uh, it's kind of hard to follow that with my own words, but we'll try. Actually, we're going to follow it with the words of the Lord in the Gospel. The Gospel according to Matthew just heard sung in German 
something from the perspective of Mary, the mother of Jesus, a lullaby that she sang for her baby. Um, that's, that's what we usually think about around this time of year, the, the story of how the angel comes to Mary and announces that she is going to bear the Christ child, the Son of God. And you'll hear that story again if you come on Christmas Eve, I'm sure. Um, but but to, today we're going to hear the story from another perspective, from Matthew's Gospel. This is from Joseph's perspective. So listen now for God's word to you today. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man or a just man, and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray that you will grant us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts and minds to understand your word and your world this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the holidays are full of expectations, expectations of all kinds, and a lot of them get sort of wrapped up in feelings of familiarity, familiarity, like stringing up lights, or decorating a Christmas tree, or sending out holiday cards, greeting cards, or buying gifts, or uh, baking cookies, singing carols, watching football, or in my case, basketball, uh, sharing meals with people with uh, recipes that probably haven't changed for a few generations. So that's what I was expecting last month as my wife Margaret and my daughter Maddie and I drove down south to San Diego, where my mom lives and my sister and her family. We were expecting lots of familiar things to happen. Our son Griffin is in college in New York City, so we knew that he was going to have a great Thanksgiving spending it with his aunt, uh, Margaret's sister, back in Brattleboro, Vermont, where she lives. So we get down to San Diego the Monday before Thanksgiving and spend the first day down there just hanging out, having a good time, relax, nice and warm down there, all that stuff. I had sent some texts, though, to Griffin, and it was really bugging me that he hadn't responded. I was just trying to see, you know, he's only 19 years old. He's first time back east. I wanted to be sure he was okay on his way from New York City to Springfield, Massachusetts, where his aunt was going to pick him up. But he did not respond. 
And I had these visions dancing in my head of, you know, Greyhound bus stuck in a ditch somewhere in Connecticut. But finally he texted me back, said everything was okay, and I, I relaxed. And so about half an hour later, my sister and her girls show up at my mom's house for dinner, half an hour later. And my mom says to my niece, Ashley, she says, uh, could you go out and grab this Amazon package that's out by the garage door? I would forgot to bring it in, could you go do that? So she goes up, and about 10 seconds later, who should come walking down the hall of my mom's house but our son, Griffin? with this mischievous grin on his face. And I was shocked, completely dumbfounded. I mean, Margaret and Maddie and I had completely bought this whole cover story, this whole ruse about him spending Thanksgiving in Vermont. We bought it hook, line, and sinker, but here he was in the flesh, all the way over here in San Diego. Now, some of you know my son, some of you better than others, and if you know my son, that's not him calling, by the way, but if, but if you know my son, you know that with his cell phone, he will always take videos of everything that's going on in his life. So he took a video of our reaction to seeing him walk down the hall. And some of you might have seen it on, may have seen it on Facebook. There's my wife, Margaret, ecstatic. She's like shaking and like screaming and crying. And she goes over and hugs him. And then there's me standing over there in the corner, just smiling and repeating the phrase, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> you like that one. So yeah, the holidays are full of expectations and feelings of familiarity, unless they're not. Like in our scripture lesson this morning. It may seem like a familiar story. It may feel like you've heard that story many times in your life. Familiar, normal, all that kind of stuff. But really? Really? Did you pay attention to the story? This young girl named Mary from this podunk little village called Nazareth in Galilee, she is engaged to be married to this man named Joseph, and one day, completely out of the blue, she shows up and says, I'm pregnant. Not exactly what he expected to hear. And he replies in Aramaic, You're what? or something like that. And then she says she's been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And he says, you're what? See, Joseph doesn't have a clue what she's talking about. Because in Matthew's gospel, unlike Luke's gospel, we don't hear anything about an angel coming to visit Mary to say that she's gonna bear a child. So for Joseph, who's getting this news for the first time, she must come across as somebody who's completely lost her mind or somebody who's been totally unfaithful to him or a combination of both. And that puts Joseph in a very awkward position. After all, in the ancient world, being engaged was serious business. Legally, you were already considered to be bound 
to your betrothed before you even went through the ritual of marriage, and it was very, very hard to unbind once you were betrothed. And what's more, the, the, the book of Deuteronomy says that the penalty for infidelity is death. Death by stoning in public. Now, it is true that by the time Jesus, you know, that had been softened just a little bit, the the death penalty for infidelity had been replaced in a lot of places by a ritual, a public ritual of renunciation of the adulterous fiancé, the one who had been unfaithful, a public shaming that you might even imagine was even worse than death. So when Mary tells Joseph that she's pregnant, no matter by whom, it's a big deal. Now, we don't have a lot of information about Joseph. We don't hear a lot in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. We hear a little bit more about him in the Gospel of Luke. It seems likely that he died sometime before Jesus started his public ministry. All we know from the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is one time called the carpenter's son. So we assume that Joseph was a carpenter and that Jesus probably had learned that trade at some point in his, uh, his life. But even so, with that lack of information, we do learn one really important fact about Joseph in the story we just heard. It's about his character, about his personality, if you will. Because when he hears that Mary is pregnant, the gospel says, Joseph, being a righteous man or a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now you heard that what the shame would be, right? A public ritual of renunciation. He's choosing not to do that. He's going to divorce her or let her go quietly. But there's a problem with that. Because again, if you think about it, in deciding to renounce, or I'm sorry, in, in, in deciding to divorce Mary quietly, he's going against everything his own society considers to be moral and just and legal. In other words, a righteous man was expected to make this public spectacle, and that was how he would maintain his honor in a strongly patriarchal culture. But here's the thing. Joseph, the father of Jesus, consciously violates all of that. He chooses to stand aside quietly. He refuses to disgrace Mary and her family, runs the risk of bringing shame down upon himself. And the question is, why? Why would such a man decide to break the rules? So, how many of you remember the movie called There's Something About Mary? Something About Mary. Takes place, yeah, some of you do remember that movie. Uh, one of my favorite singers, Jonathan Richmond, is in that movie, so it's, it's pretty good, memorable, but I want you to remember today this, that there's something about Joseph, too. For some reason, we don't exactly know why, he is open to an unfamiliar impulse 
an unfamiliar impulse that is more compassionate and more compelling than any law he's ever been exposed to. After all, he didn't know that Christmas was coming. He didn't know who or what the baby Mary was carrying was going to turn out to be. But then he has a dream. And the angel comes to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In Hebrew, Jesus, or Yeshua, means God saves. And when Joseph wakes up, he realizes that all that unlikely, crazy stuff that Mary was telling him turns out to be true. So he goes ahead and he marries her full of trust and hope and love. And then after Jesus is born, we hear that he takes Mary and the baby into exile in Egypt And then he comes back to Nazareth at some point, and we don't hear anything else about him in the whole Gospel of Matthew. But we do know one thing about him. Even if we don't know what kind of a dad he was, or even if he taught his son anything about the finer points of carpentry, we do know that the love that Jesus himself went on to talk about the love that he modeled, the love that he shared, the love that he lived for, the love that he died for, that was the very same kind of grace-filled, reckless, life-saving, self-giving love that Joseph himself showed Mary. It's a love strong enough to grasp for something different, something that's right and true and holy, whatever the rules might tell you about what is decent or normal or even wise. That's the love of Jesus. That's the love of Jesus' dad, Joseph, and that's the love of the father of all of us and the father of Jesus, our loving God. Kermit Long was a pastor in Chicago, and he tells about uh, Christmas Eve he spent one time in the city, and as he writes it, a gentle snowfall added to the already magical, mystical beauty of the season. I sure wish we could have such a thing here in Piedmont, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. But anyway, that's what was going on in Chicago. The snow is falling down, there's this magical, mystical feeling in the air, He had just finished the early candlelight service, which was probably around 9 o'clock. So he he goes out and he decides, you know, I've got an hour. I'm going to go walk the streets a little bit. Enjoy the lights. Walk into some of the stores that were open for late shoppers. And so he comes across a flower shop. He walks in and he notices that there are a few late shoppers in the flower shop. And And then he's standing there, he notices a boy of about seven or eight years old walk in through the door. Clothes are torn, he's wearing these beat-up old tennis shoes. And he walks purposefully over to the counter and he asks the shopkeeper, do you have any roses for my mother for 10 cents? 
And the man replies, well, wait just a moment and I'll see what I can do for you. And so he deals with the other customers. The other customers leave. So there's only the boy and the shopkeeper and the pastor in the shop. And the owner of the store turns to the little boy and he says, I have good news for you. On Christmas Eve, we have a special on roses for young fellows who want to buy them for their mothers. And so he takes the boy's dime, he places a dozen long stem red roses in his arms, and with a big smile on his face, the boy walks out the flower shop and goes home. Now you hear a story like that, especially this time of year, and you think, oh, that's sweet. That's the spirit of Christmas. And it is. That is the spirit of Christmas, and it is sweet. But you know, as nice and generous as that flower shop owner seems to be, you and I would never expect him to act that way all year round with every other person who comes into his shop, would we? Of course not. He's got a bottom line. He's got to make a profit by selling as many flowers as he can to people at the right price. And nobody would ever blame him for doing that. It's normal, expected. Maybe he can be generous once a year to a kid who wants flowers for his mom, but otherwise, you expect him to follow the rules. But here's the thing. The God who came to be with us and the son of Mary and Joseph, who is incarnate in Jesus Christ, that God makes a habit of doing the unexpected. You may think you only have 10 cents worth of faith. You don't have enough going on in your own heart, your own actions, your own uh, goodness or virtue or anything like, and certainly not enough to, to earn God's favor. You may think you're unworthy because of something you did or something you didn't do, or, or maybe because you're considered a social outcast for whatever reason. But the good news of Christmas is that God chose to come into this world in the most unlikely of ways, through the most unlikely of people, a poor, unwed teenage mother and a compassionate yet very conflicted Man. And that goes to show you that there is no logic or requirement. There's no law that can ever stand in the way of God's desire and God's decision to love you and me beyond our wildest dreams. The philosopher William James wrote that if the grace of God miraculously operates, it probably operates through the subliminal door. And that's how God's gracious love came to Joseph. It touches a previously unknown corner of his heart, and it empowers him against the odds and against the law to do the hardest, but also the most loving thing he has ever done in his life. He decides to be gracious to Mary. And in so doing, he frees her to bear the unexpected gift of Christ for the whole world. 
May you and I be open to that same surprising, self-giving love. May we be able to receive it and share it in this season of giving and all the seasons of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's join together in the prayer of thanksgiving. God of great gifts and great love, as we await the birth of your Son in joy and hope and love and peace, may our gratitude be reflected in the gifts we give. Because of our generosity, might others know of the baby boy born in a manger so long ago and reborn in our hearts anew. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as you leave this place, this sacred space, this place where 
God is alive, remember that God is alive wherever you go. In Jesus the Christ, who was born in Bethlehem and reborn in our lives, can reborn every time we reach out and act like Christ and see, and see Christ living in other people. I, as you leave this place today, be sure you can join us for our um, fellowship time in, in the uh, Barton Room and join in the alternative gift market. But take with you whatever it is that gives you a sense of what Christmas really means, the season of giving, the season when God gives everything to you as well. And as you leave, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each and every one of you, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. <laughs>